Welcome to this episode of Conductive Discussions, a Ropes and Gray podcast series focused on legal issues of interest to the semiconductor industry. My name is Mark Rowland, and I am a partner at Ropes and Gray in our IP litigation practice based in our Silicon Valley office. I'll be hosting this episode, which will focus on recent trends in trade secret enforcement cases. We'll be hearing from an exciting group of practitioners on this topic. To start with me is Dave Sean, an IP litigation partner in our Silicon Valley office, who has provided his thoughts on trade secret matters in prior episodes. Welcome back, Dave. Thanks, Mark, and hello again to everybody. Also joining us is Matt Vigolo, a partner in our Washington, D.C. office, who specializes in IP-related proceedings before the U.S. International Trade Commission, or as it's commonly known, the ITC. Matt has also been a speaker before on the Conductive Discussions podcast. Welcome back, Matt. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. In addition, from New York, we have with us today two new speakers, Jolene Wang and Mike Morales, both associates in the Ropes and Gray IP litigation practice. Welcome, Jolene and Mike. Hello, everyone. Glad to be joining. Thanks, Mark. Hi, everyone. Mike will start us off with our Silicon Speak report of recent legal news, which today will focus on trade secret cases. Mike? Thanks, Mark. The common theme of the legal news is that remedies awarded in civil trade secret cases can be very harsh. Even in the criminal context, the DOJ has come down on companies stealing trade secrets. Starting in the criminal realm, in October, a California federal judge ordered Taiwan-based United Microelectronics to pay a $60 million fine after it admitted to stealing rival Micron Technologies trade secrets related to the design of dynamic random access memory devices, or more commonly referred to as DRAM. Prosecutors accused three former employees of Micron of working together to steal trade secrets and bringing them to China to mass produce the DRAM technology. Another company, Xinhua, is wrapped up in the criminal case and a trial is expected in August 2021. China's State Council has previously identified this technology as a, quote, national economic priority. And with tensions rising between the United States and China, I think we can expect the DOJ to continue investigating this kind of theft and prosecuting it to the full extent of the law. Moving into the civil realm, juries seem to have no mercy for trade secret theft as well. In Motorola versus Hytera, a Chicago jury in last February awarded Motorola $764 million in damages, including $418 million for punitive damages. The case involved three engineers that Hytera poached from Motorola, who stole and brought with them thousands of Motorola's confidential documents containing trade secrets and lines of source code to develop a new digital radio. The damages award was recently reduced from $764 million to $543 million, which is still a large jury verdict. More recently, in October, a Manhattan jury awarded Trezetto Group $854 million, including $570 million for punitive damages for Sintel's theft of trade secrets related to Trezetto software products. This is yet another large jury verdict, and I think we will see trade secret litigation increase with juries having no mercy. Even the ITC has weighed in on the trade secret front recently. In investigation number 337-TA-1145, which many people know of as the Botox case, 
In December, the ITC issued a limited exclusion order and a cease and desist order for trade secret misappropriation relating to methods of manufacturing Botox. The two parties primarily battling over the trade secrets were Korea-based entities, and this is the latest example of the ITC addressing trade secret misappropriation that occurred wholly abroad. With courts in both the criminal and civil context, and even the ITC coming down harshly on trade secret theft, I think we will continue to see an increasing number of trade secret cases. It's no surprise. While trade secret cases were relatively steady in the years preceding the 2016 enactment of the Defend Trade Secrets Act, the volume of cases increased substantially over the last few years. Only time will tell, but I will turn it back to Mark and the team to further discuss the trade secret issues. Thanks, Mike, for that update on the trade secrets in the news. Those are most certainly large damage awards. Yes, absolutely. Um, In my mind, it's part of a trend over the last 10, 15 years or so where patent protections appear to have weakened, while trade secret protections have significantly enhanced. You have things like PTAB practice, 101 motions, um, making patent validity more challenging, uh, and changes to indirect infringement, uh, willful infringement, and the like, making infringement cases harder. Uh, You even have doctrines like the entire market value rule limiting damages in patent cases. Uh, On the trade secret side, however, uh, you know, the competitor litigations in particular have continued to be big-ticket items. That's right. They really are reaching hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, trade secrets now can mean big business for companies that hold them. Mike mentioned the increase in the number of trade secret cases being filed. I don't think it's any coincidence that this increase seems to have started around the passing of the Defend Trade Secrets Act in 2016. Is that right? Right. Historically, trade secret litigation happened in state courts, but now at the DTSA, it's much more common in federal court. And as Mike mentioned, the ITC can also address it. Um, you know, he alluded to now with the ITC weighing in more and more, trade secret misappropriation cases are being filed there as well as in federal courts at an ever-increasing rate, and, and this really doesn't show any sign of abating anytime soon. And it really comes to no surprise that these biggest awards are coming from, you know, the rapidly growing industries such as IT, information technology, healthcare, and financial services. And so as such companies continue to claim these sizable trade secret victories, you couple that with more consistent litigation via the DTSA, we can definitely expect even further growth in trade secret litigation. How often are these trade secret cases between competitors? Is that usually the case? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Particularly for these larger litigations, almost always in my mind. Uh, To me, these generally come up in two main buckets. First, the former employee moves to competitor scenario, or an employee or maybe even a group of employees move to a competitor. And secondly, a busted joint venture situation where NDAs are signed, uh, technology is transferred, uh, but then somehow the deals are broken uh, and the use of the technology going forward becomes the basis for a trade secret misappropriation claim. In each of these, it's understandable why the damages awards are so high. There is a real recognizable injury that the jury can understand. You're not talking about some hypothetical negotiation for a statutory minimum royalty, like in patent cases in most of these instances. Exactly. The concept of someone stealing something and profiting from it to the detriment of the original right for owner is something anyone can easily comprehend. Trade secret cases have this individualized and emotional aspect that many patent cases simply lack because it so often involves a close relationship that is ultimately degraded. Absolutely. 
I think this might be another big reason why jurors are returning verdicts with such large damages. To hear about bad blood between an employee and an employer or ex-business partner evokes emotion in and of itself, but then to hear that one of them, on top of all that, stole trade secrets for self-interest just seems diabolical and plays on jurors' emotions to combat the bad guys and, and do the right thing. All of us work on patent cases, and a major focus in that area for the better part of the last two decades has been the rise of non-practicing entities or patent assertion entities, those uh, who may own IP rights and seek to monetize them but not actually make products that practice them. Some refer derisively to those uh, outfits as uh, patent trolls. I know this comes up sometimes in the copyright realm as well. How about trade secret trolls? Someone taking ownership of something and then asserting trade secret rights. Is that common? So interestingly enough, Dave and I are working on something like that right now. So just like in patent cases, they can take over the rights and get some damages? Yeah, we've been looking into that, uh, and the answer is unclear. Um, you know, when the DTSA was first passed, there was a lot of speculation that you might get uh, uh, an increase in MPE cases in the trade secret realm, uh, but that hasn't really panned out except for in a couple of limited cases. Interesting. If you think about it from an MPE point of view, there are a number of hurdles that don't exist like in a patent case. For example, there is no presumption of validity uh, and there's no statutory remedy like a minimum reasonable royalty. You really need to show that you have a real and valuable technology and that you've been injured or harmed by the misappropriation. It's harder for an MP who might have acquired a claim for past misappropriation and thus likely got its trade secrets at a discount. Thus, it probably benefited rather than having been injured. Yeah, Dave, as you pointed out earlier, and this is an issue that got a lot of attention while the DTSA was being considered five, six years ago. You know, as is often the case, when you create a new private right of action, there are concerns that some may try to take advantage of that for nefarious purposes. And I recall there was even a law review article called Here Come the Trade Secret Trolls that was published by a couple of law professors. They were theorizing that you would see patent trolls pivot to trade secrets. But as you mentioned, that really hasn't come to fruition. So there were there are concerns about it happening a lot, but it, but it doesn't seem to have happened. So that's not too surprising. I imagine if it were to be an issue, we probably would have seen it by now, given the long history of trade secret protection at the state level. And again, the universe involved in trade secret cases is much smaller. There are by nature between parties with a close relationship, with some nexus, or at the very least within the same industry. Trade secrets are not protected like patents, which essentially provide a right against the world. I should also note for everyone that a few of us on this podcast are even currently litigating a case where there is an NPE bringing a trade secret claim at the ITC. It is somewhat unusual, but here we have a situation where both patents and trade secret claims are at issue in the investigation. It's interesting because there are a number of differences that can be significant compared to litigating a trade secret claim in state or federal court. Matt, can you break that down a little bit? I think a lot of folks are familiar with the ITC as a place where you can bring patent infringement claims, but maybe not so much on the trade secret front. How does the ITC differ? Sure. Uh, the ITC's long recognized trade secret misappropriation as an unfair act that it can address under its powers that are authorized by Section 337. A complainant 
uh, raising a trade secret claim needs to show three elements. First, that there's been misappropriation of a trade secret. Second, that products that benefit from that misappropriation have been imported into the United States. And third, that the importation of those products has substantially injured or destroyed a domestic industry. So investments made in the United States that relate to competing products. Unlike in patent cases, the complainant doesn't need to show that the so-called domestic industry products actually practice the trade secrets at issue. They only need to show that those products compete with the domestic industry products. If the complainant can prove all those elements, the ITC will issue an exclusion order that bars the importation of the accused products into the United States. And the exclusion order is enforced by U.S. Customs. Very, very powerful remedy. In patent cases, the exclusion order lasts until the patents expire, but trade secrets don't have an expiration date. Do trade secret exclusion orders last forever? <laughs> no, but, but for some, I imagine it feels like forever. The ITC has typically set the length of trade secret exclusion orders to level the playing field. Uh, essentially, they'll peg it to the length of time that it would have taken the party accused of misappropriation to have developed the trade secrets independently. This is typically ranged from 10 to 25 years, but in the Botox case that Mike mentioned earlier, it was only 21 months. There's also interesting questions of what law to apply. The ITC applies its own unique federal standard pulling from sources such as the restatements of unfair competition and of torts, the UTSA, the DTSA, and even federal common law. There's also the unresolved question of whether a statute of limitations or some other time bar, which is typically three years in other courts, uh, applies at the ITC. Yeah, that's right, Dave. The statute of limitations, I think, is a particularly interesting question. It came up in the Botox case, and the administrative law judge there said that he didn't need to resolve it. But I'll note that that case is being appealed, so this issue may come up during the appeal. And the ITC also gave a good explanation of the legal standards that it applies, uh, that federal common law, UTSA, DTSA, restatement amalgam you mentioned, uh, in both the Botox decision and in its recent final opinion in certain bone cements, which is investigation number 337-TA-1153, for those of you who are interested. Thanks, Matt. Well, that concludes another interesting session. Again, thanks to Dave, Matt, Jolene, and Mike for joining us today and for sharing uh, your insights. Subscribe to Conducted Discussions and other Ropes Talk podcasts in the newsroom page of ropesgrade.com. If you have any questions or comments, just drop us a line. For more information about our practice specific to semiconductors, just type semiconductors ropes gray to get our semiconductors page. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you join us next time. Until then, this is Mark Rowland, Dave Chun, Matt Rizzo, Jolene Wang, and Mike Morales. Goodbye. Goodbye.